Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Turbo Podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? A nefarious plot. Oh? An insidious fakery. Oh, I do love an insidious fakery. The story begins in the 1960s, right around the centennial anniversary of the Civil War. People care about that for some reason. Yeah, I heard it was kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, it says here um, it was kind of a big deal and people were all in their feelings about it. <laughs> now at this point of, well, not celebration, but um, morose honoring of the past. Remembrance? Commemoration? Commemoration is a much better word, thank you. Acknowledgement? <laughs> right around that time, conveniently, hundreds of belt buckles from that time period, around the Civil War, began to trickle and then flood onto the antiques market. Yes, they had antiques in the 1960s. Yes, they had history in history. <laughs> Now, these belt buckles were excellent quality, solid brass, sometimes bronze, and represented many popular brands, such as American Express, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, Western Union, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I know that's not a brand, but, like, bear with me. No, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And even the Titanic. Wait, so, sorry, these are Civil War belt buckles? They're from the Civil War era and onward. Okay, so the cool thing about the Civil War is it happened in the 1860s, and the cool thing about the Titanic is that it happened way later. Yeah, yeah, This is this. these are running the gamut. <laughs> like, 50 years later. These are running the gamut. They start with the Civil War, and as time goes on, they start kind of trickling down in terms of age, getting newer and newer. So this isn't the fakery. We're not trying to sell genuine Civil War belt buckles in the shape of the Titanic. No, no, that is not the part that's fake. Okay, got it. Now, one of the other really exciting things about these little treasures that were hitting the market is that they were attributed most frequently to Tiffany's company. Was Tiffany a company during the Civil War? Yes, they were. They were founded in 1837. Tiffany old as balls, actually. Yeah, actually extremely old as balls. They don't run up those prices for nothing. Yes, they do. They absolutely do. Well, now it used to be that it was actually centuries of craftsmanship, (laughs) but like... Now it's silver-plated solo cups, so like... I'm sorry, not silver-plated. Oh, they're solid. The solo cups themselves are silver and then enameled in the classic red and white. Yeah. Money, please. Money, please. So they were attributed to Tiffany Company, sometimes Anson Mills specifically, who was an artisan who did manage a Tiffany's glass studio, and also Emerson Gaylord, which was a fine jewelry company operating in Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts, as it happens. Hot damn. Now these quickly became very popular. The breadth of topics that they covered, the eventual focus on Westernalia, if you will, The high quality, the claims to be Tiffany, they quickly began to command extremely high prices among collectors, starting for hundreds and even upwards of $500 for a belt buckle, and that's in 1960s money. So basically, bajillions of dollars. Bajillions of dollars everywhere. There's so many. And as far as anyone could tell, again, these are really high quality. There was really no reason to doubt them. And yet, this podcast episode. And yet, something lurks in the shadows. Kind of bolstering people's faith in these items, a book turns up conveniently around the time the few experts in the belt buckle field were starting to mumble about the veracity of these items. A book pops up called Tiffany and Gaylord Express and Exhibition Belt Plates. It is something of a business record, including transaction details, archiving advertisements for these belt buckles, and a variety of historical evidence throughout the production of these belt buckles. 
It was authored by Percy Seibert, and it really gave people a lot of faith in the value and authenticity of the buckles. Because it's in a book, and not just anybody can write a book. That's true. The book actually was copyrighted from the 1950s, and nobody really questioned that either. Later, another book would turn up called The Accoutrement Belt Plates by Tiffany and Co. London, England, which was presented as a type of catalog, and there's only one problem. Literally every single thing I've said just now is fake. What? Unpossible! <laughs> <laughs> the buckles weren't antique in the slightest. What? They're not even reproductions. What? Purely fantasy pieces, are they? These were fantasy pieces, and a boy howdy, in my research have I found that belt buckle enthusiasts get really mad when you refer to them as fantasy pieces because they don't like being shysted, which I can understand. <laughs> You think they should be enchanted by the magic of the con? You think they should have a magician show audience appreciation for having the wool pulled over their eyes to the tunes of bajillions of dollars? I just think a f that saying fantasy piece is specific in a very helpful way that saying it's fake isn't. Especially in the world of antiques where fake can mean a lot of different things. You're right, and frankly, you should say it. Thank you. I do agree that it is somewhat euphemistic. Um... <laughs> None of these belt buckles ever existed. Well, they did. Here's the thing. They very much did exist, but... Well, let me clarify. They never existed prior to the 1960s. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and in fact, the compelling and entertaining stories that had been spun to sell them, such as the Titanic belt buckle was supposedly a limited edition gift for people who had worked on the vessel, and the Western Union belt buckle was supposedly to honor 50-year employees of the company, this was all completely made up. Which creates a waterfall effect of realizing the book is fucking fake too. What? But how? Books are always true. Well, we enter J. Duncan Campbell. J. Duncan Campbell is a historian of Western items with a focus on jewelry and other metalwork. He's a contracted associate of the Smithsonian. He knows his shit. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was one of the aforementioned experts that had sort of cocked an eyebrow at these belt buckles when they started streaming in. So he achieves a copy of Express and Exhibition Plates and starts poking around. One thing he finds out is that Percy Seibert is not a person, least of all an author. Interesting. He finds it extremely interesting that despite being claimed to have been published in, and written in Baltimore, the grammar, style, and especially the spelling is British English. And perhaps more concerningly, as J. Duncan Campbell read through, he realized that the book actively plagiarized things he had written about antique belt buckles. Oh, Oops. Mr. Campbell had written the things that were being plagiarized in 1967, making it curious that they would have been ripped off in 1950. We're playing a little fast and loose with the timelines, are we? We are playing it a little fast and loose. We are playing a pretty hefty game of make-believe. Hence the name Fantasy Pieces. <laughs> What's more is that the deeper he started digging into this, he began to put together that the advertisements for these items were actually like hacked up collage pieces from a variety of other things. My man's doing photo bash advertising fakery? Some 1960s photo bash advertising fakery. I love it. As well as sales records and the like. The amount of work that had gone into deceiving people was intense. Over belt buckles of all fucking things. Over fucking belt buckles. Incredible. 
Perhaps even more insidiously, the book source claimed that the dies for the belt buckles had been sold to one Frank Fish, who was a real person who had a museum of Westernalia. However, he had been murdered. What? <laughs> and his museum had been robbed. Oh god, what? Meaning, there was no one left to confirm and nothing left to prove. Did the person who wrote this book kill a guy? Unclear, but probably not. They probably just selected him because he couldn't run his fucking mouth as being dead and all. On account of being murdered and plundered, yes. Yeah, it, it was probably the result of the news had gotten out that the man had been murdered, his museum plundered, and it became abundantly clear that if someone said, well, where are these original dies, that the author would then be able to go, well, sadly, he was murdered and his museum plundered, so they're gone now. Damn. Just very grim, a very grim bit of lying. Now, the book Accoutrement Belt Plates by Tiffany and Company of London, England, the catalog, this presents something of a conundrum. Tiffany and Company is most famous for being an American company. And not only had they never made brass belt buckles, which somehow had flown under the radar this entire time. Incredible. <laughs> they wouldn't have an English branch until 1986. Oh. Being American and all. <laughs> so did the person who crafted this fantastical lie not know this? Like, did they just assume that, oh, Tiffany's a fancy company, it must be British? Or were they hoping that the people stupid enough to fall for this con would also be stupid enough to assume that Tiffany being a fancy company must be British? Well, unfortunately, nobody really knows. It is a mystery? The person who these have been pinned to is somewhat of a mystery. Wrapped up in an enigma? It is frequently tracked back to a man by the name of John R. Fairchild of England. <laughs> Which um, does lead people to believe that you might be right and that it was literally just that these were fancy and fine art, so they must be English. <laughs> the reason people think this is because he was in fact detained by U.S. Customs, import shipments of the buckles in question were impounded, and John Fairchild was banned from entering the United States. On what grounds? <laughs> what fakes? Let him go, ref. Let him play. Unfortunately, this is really the bulk of what we know. It's assumably him, because he was caught with the items, and because he'd had something of a history of running scams up until then. All of them based around creating objects and lying about what time period they came from. It would be very funny if he was just a time traveler, but very bad at it and clueless of how to actually profit off of it. <laughs> so every time he brought back an authentic artifact from the past, he'd actually change the timeline so it didn't exist in that way. Uh, listen, here's the thing. You can't prove that that didn't happen. You're right, I can't. <laughs> and there we have it. And as we all know, by the rules of logic, inability to prove a negative proves a positive. Exactly right. And I'll take that to my grave. <laughs> Speaking of graves, another thing that really sold the idea that John R. Fairchild had been responsible was certainly the fact that, uh, well, they stopped coming into the country right around the time he died. Coincidence? Which many have been considered additional, additionally damning evidence. Other than that, it is actually uncertain any other details about his life. All we know about the man is that he was barred from ever entering America, and he lied to people very frequently. <laughs> What more do you need, really? <laughs> One thing that Fairchild wasn't necessarily directly responsible for is that even by the time he had been barred from America 
and people had widely caught on to the fact that these were fakes, their earlier high selling prices had resulted in an extremely funny result of other companies making reproductions of these fake belt buckles. INCREDIBLE! This process has occurred up until, as far as anyone can tell, 10 years ago. No. With the quality becoming worse and worse with each reiteration. That's so beautiful. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. They were never real. <laughs> they were always fake. They should have sent a poet. We have the rare double fake. A reproduction of a fake. Incredible. One of the even funnier things about this. Yes, it gets a funnier. <laughs> While at the time, J. Duncan Campbell had claimed that these were barely worth the $5 he would spend on them as paperweights, this story has created a market for the belt buckles, which are now expensive again. Of course it has! Because now I want them, and I've never wanted a belt buckle in my life! Not quite as much as $500, but examples that still have the false Tiffany branding can sell anywhere from $25 to $75. Beautiful. And that's notable because those are the original fakes. The reproductions of the fakes actually scrubbed the Tiffany branding because they correctly assumed that Tiffany would sue them. <laughs> You know, not many people are that smart. They know this because Tiffany said, I swear to God, I'll fucking sue you. <laughs> they know this because Tiffany has trademarked a particular shade of the color blue. They are extremely good at trademarking. They're not fucking around as Tiffany. <laughs> so yeah, very, very wisely, people realized pretty quickly that they weren't fucking around. So it's pretty easy to tell which ones are the originals. I think there's nothing better on God's green earth than the idea that a story was so fucked up and funny that it created value out of thin air. I mean, that's antiques, isn't it? I, yeah, that's actually a good point. That's our whole dang business, toe to tip. Now, there are over 86 examples of these fake buckles, which is a lot. <laughs> How can you be sure you're getting the real fake? <laughs> a beautiful question. Well, there's some things you can look at. The fake books that were falsified to sell this story, which is an astonishing amount of work, claimed that these were die stamped, which is an extremely high quality method of producing metal, better known as how we create coins for the US Mint. Die stamping leaves absolutely no markings. It is as high quality because it is just pressure pushing something into a shape, which means nothing has to be sanded or finished. It is a finished product once it comes out of the press. These are cast, and we know this because they have sanding marks all over them from where the mold lines had to be removed. So the fakes don't even match up with the fake book meant to sell them? They do not, which is how experts cottoned on pretty quickly. But given that there's like, what, three experts in belt buckles in the US at any given moment, the news didn't <laughs> spread pretty fast. It's gonna get like 10 belt buckle experts yelling at me. Are you a belt buckle expert? Please, dear God, write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. I must know more. This is incredible. It's it's so good. I'm sure you're sick to death of this being the only thing anyone knows about belt buckles, but God, it's a great story. I'm sorry. I promised myself that eventually I'll do an actual, you know, write-up on some belt buckles to make up for this, but this is- <laughs> If you want to be the belt buckle expert, we consult for that episode. 
write in at TeaksFreaksPodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate nothing more. Oh my god. And other than that, one of the ways to identify them using the breadth of knowledge available to us now of the superhighway of the internet is that there's no other references to the fucking things. What? Usually, even with rare antiques, you can sort of find things that are similar or other copies of the item. And with these, all you're going to get are people telling you that they're fake. And that's a pretty good way to know. Now, it is worth noting that these are, when I say high quality, I mean they're high quality enough to trick people today. Every now and again, someone will find one, assume it's the real deal, and put it up for sale for several hundred to thousands of dollars. And those people aren't scamming, they believe that because these are really high quality. And there's a book. There's a book, it's real. (laughs) So if you're looking to spend that much on a belt buckle, absolutely do your due diligence and ensure that it had been made at any point in history ever at all. And that is, <laughs> that is the, the sordid story of the fake Tiffany belt buckles. Amazing. The sources for today include, I'm always so excited to say this, beltbucklehistory.com. Always so delightfully on the nose is every antiques website. <laughs> that one might be my favorite so far. Realorepro.com, Tiffany belt buckles. AntiqueTrader.com, Tiffany Buckles, and my other favorite and perhaps the most reliable resource, BogusBuckles.com, a website dedicated entirely to disabusing people of the notion that these are real. Run by the angriest belt buckle collector (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) This dude has single-handedly republished some of the fake books so that people would be able to get their hands on them for reference. Incredible. This is the most wonderful Ouroboros the antiques industry has yet produced. There's so much reproducing happening on every level. I love it. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr at antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you had a good time listening to what tangled webs we weave on our pants, feel free to <laughs> scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this fine podcast and leave us a review. 10 out of 10. That was a funny joke, you might say. 10 out of 10 is not a rating for a podcast, but you could say that anyway. And if you would like to check out some definitely real, not repro vintage goods, you can see our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, the Feast of Blood. Special thanks to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.